Hello, welcome in. You have found the Lines Week 15 Megapod. My name is Stephen Andrus, managing editor at thelines.com, joined by Adam Candy. You can find him on Twitter at Adam Candy, two E's. Matt Brown out this week, so just a two-man show. We're going to take you through every game on the Week 15 slate, except for Monday Night Football. I have a separate video for that one on Monday. But as always, everything on thelines.com is completely free. Be sure to hit that like button, hit the subscribe button. Let us know in the comments what you are betting on in week number 15. Adam, sometimes we talk about Thursday night football. I think maybe uh, we could just celebrate that Brandon Staley is no longer uh, somebody we have to deal with anymore, right? The Las Vegas Raiders scored 63 points. They moved their point (laughs) differential to nearly even on the season in one game that's how far the chargers had fallen so yes i think we can all enjoy that justin herbert will get some new leadership sometime soon i have a uh, a bottle of bourbon bet with uh one of our writers evan scrimshaw on raiders over six and a half wins so now they only have to win one of the last three games and i told them the minute josh mcdaniels got fired i was in trouble so here we go but plenty of other more important more fascinating and interesting games to get to And in week 15, we have our first Saturday slate. Let's kick things off here with the Minnesota Vikings at the Cincinnati Bengals. 1 p.m. kickoff on Saturday as we record on Friday afternoon. The Bengals are a juiced three-point favorite. You can also find a juiced three-and-a-half on the Vikings if you are interested. Total in this one sitting at 40-and-a-half. And for me, Adam... I did bet on the Bengals as four-point dogs earlier in the week. Uh, to me, this was a bit of an overreaction after the look-ahead was was minus one. You know, Josh Dobbs is not the quarterback anymore. Justin Jefferson didn't play in that game for the most part last week. It looks like he's going to be healthy in this one. But I still kind of feel a little queasy because maybe this Jake Browning thing is real for Cincinnati. So um, not one of my more confident bets, but I thought it was a bit of an overreaction. I'm, I'm curious – what you think about the Bengals at this point after a couple of good games from Browning? Yeah, I think that you have to look at the Cincinnati Bengals in much the same way that you look at the San Francisco 49ers and say, at some point, the weapons are going to make the quarterback. And at some point, Jake Browning doesn't have to be Joe Burrow. He just has to be something that is a reasonable facsimile of an NFL quarterback. And when you have Chase and Boyd and Higgins out there, and now the emergence of a guy like Chase Brown giving you some quickness out of the backfield, it, it seems like maybe whatever Jake Browning is will be sufficient. What I really liked about the Bengals in their game last week and rewatching this was the amount of early down play action I saw from what Zach Taylor was calling. When we've had trouble in the past with the Bengals, it's been Zach Taylor calling a lot of early down runs and kind of neutering what the Cincinnati offense can do. Well, he didn't do that with Jake Browning, right? He kind of knew, hey, Joe Burrow can get me out of some of these second and third and longs. I don't want to put Jake Browning in those second and third and longs. And they put them in better game state. So I like what I've seen out of the Cincinnati offense. The question at this point is going to be, I don't really know what the Minnesota offense is, right? We have no idea what Nick Mullins is going to be. He looked good in that final drive in which he got the only three points that Minnesota scored in Las Vegas. But at the same time, I don't know what I'm getting out of Justin Jefferson. He says he's good to go, right? But we don't know if he'll be in any way physically limited when he's out there from the injury that he suffered last week. So the only way I feel comfortable with this game, and again, lean not play is to the over 40 and a half. 
if you believe that Jake Browning is anything of the real deal, then you think that the weapons he has will be able to help hold off Brian Flores' blitzing scheme, right? Because that's really what your concern would be, would be that you got a rookie quarterback going against a guy who is blitzing and blitzing well against some younger quarterbacks. But at some point when you blitz, it's man coverage everywhere, and you have the guys to beat that man coverage with the Cincinnati team. Yeah, I think, you know, the people who are doubting Jake Browning will point to the A dot and say it's basically football in easy mode, to which I would say if Flores is blitzing, a quick short A dot is kind of what you're looking for. Like we saw the very, very extreme version of that when the Bears played Minnesota a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, for me, the, the reasons I bet Minnesota plus four earlier in the week, and I would still be okay betting Minnesota plus three and a half here. I to me, it's 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 the difference between thinking the Bengals are going to win the game and now requiring them to win by more than a field goal. So I, I get the adjustment off the look ahead, but pass three to me seemed pretty extreme. And this is still a Cincinnati defense that is pretty bad. They're still 26th by EPA, 31st by success rate. So offenses have moved the ball. Um as a 49ers fan, I am acutely aware that Nick Mullins in his career going all the way back to college has a tendency to turn the ball over. He's averaging like one interception per game. So don't really feel great about that. But I do think this is by far the biggest test that Jake Browning will have faced. If you look at what Brian Flores has done, it's really impressive. The last three opponents that they have faced, their offenses have had one of the three worst games they've had all season. So I'm willing to sell high a little bit here on Browning. Um, I need the three and a half to consider Minnesota, but that's kind of kind of where I landed on on that one. Middle game on Saturday is the Pittsburgh Steelers going on the road to the Indianapolis Colts kickoff at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. This one is now sitting at Colts as a one and a half point favorite. Total anywhere between 42 and 42 and a half. It looks like uh, T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith will play for Pittsburgh. They've progressed through the concussion protocols. We're waiting for final word on that. But unlike a couple of other guys who have not been practicing, they have been out there. They've been doing media availability. So at this point, I would be surprised if the Steelers' two leading sack getters are not on the field. Uh, nevertheless, it's still Mitch Trubisky, and you basically have to back him to win a game here, Adam. And we have seen the Colts offense at least be able to move the ball. I don't know what you think about their defense at this point, but Shane Steichen has at least been able to put up points for the Colts. He has, uh, you know, it was a weird week last week for them against Cincinnati in which they got a touchdown and then they got a defensive score and then it, it just kind of all went to crap for a while after that. They had some drives that didn't yeah. ultimately lead to points. So, this Pittsburgh defense, I think, is kind of a shell of itself with the injuries that they're suffering from right now. And I think the other piece of the equation for me is I am not thinking anything of the Pittsburgh offense with a beaten up Deontay Johnson with Mitch Trubisky at the helm and a total sitting 42, 42 and a half that has been bet up. That's a movement that... I guess probably goes toward the Pittsburgh defensive injuries and, and Indianapolis's ability to move the ball. But well, we, we've seen this a lot all year, right? Adam, yeah. like there's been a lot of interest in just blanket betting the Colts overs this year. I guess so. I, I mean, and 
I get it because what you're going to get out of Minshew is going to be points for one of the teams, right? Uh, but in the last two weeks, Gardner Minshew only has two turnover-worthy plays, and that's really where a lot of the variance comes from. And when you look at Minshew, you're kind of saying, all right, well, maybe you're going to get points out of the fact that he's going to throw an interception that leads to a short field for Pittsburgh. I don't know that we've seen as much of that from Indianapolis. So you know, in general, um, unders have been the play this year. We know that the average total is down in the range of 41 uh, by this point. So I would be looking toward under. I can't get to what would seem like a natural teaser leg on Pittsburgh just because Trubisky has been so, so, so bad. So you, if you trust that Indianapolis offense, like you were just saying, Stephen, then I might. I might avoid that teaser. Like, I'm not sure how you feel about it. Yeah, it, it's tough for me because it just seems like we're back to the Steelers offense being pretty one dimensional here with them wanting to be excessively run heavy here, right? Like they, they don't want Trubisky dropping back and throwing 40 times in a game. So, you know, I took the bait here. I, I bet the over again with the Colts. I've cashed it the last couple of weeks and just going to kind of ride it here. Uh, there's a couple of matchup um, matchups here that I thought were pretty solid. Despite the fact that Pittsburgh wants to run the ball a lot, this is still a pretty decent defense to do that against. The Colts are bottom five stopping the run by success rate this season, and they're dead last in the past six weeks in that metric. Now, on, on the flip side here for the Colts offense, I think it's a style of play thing too. I, I think it's pace. I think it's how often they want to throw the ball. I mean, just just looking at the overall season trend for them, nine of their 13 games have gone 47 plus total points. Totals is still sitting at 42 right now. And then just stylistically, the Colts rank first in both pass rate over expected and neutral pace over the past four weeks. So Steichen's letting letting it rip and moving fast, despite Gardner Minshew being his quarterback here. And, And I have questions about the Pittsburgh secondary, Adam. I completely understand where you're coming from in terms of that handicap. You're looking at 21 and a half as the team total for the Indianapolis Colts. I think I would be much more comfortable if you wanted to play this on the Indianapolis team total over than if we were playing full game over involving Pittsburgh having to do its part with what we've seen out of this Pittsburgh offense under Trubisky in the last two weeks because uh, I, when we talk about these totals, I just play out natural game scores, right? And think, okay, what if the Colts get to 28 in this game, right? If the Colts get to 28, I still need the Steelers to come up with more than 14 points. And the state of that offense right now scares me a little bit in terms of that. So the stats you gave in terms of Indianapolis, to me, would lead me more toward I trust the Indianapolis side to get to its part of that total. Yeah, I would... 100% agree with that, that the, the Colts seem like the the higher floor, higher ceiling side of this for sure. And the Steelers, I mean, we talked about the pace that the Colts want to play at. The Steelers want to play the complete opposite. So we kind of have a, a complete clashing of, of paces here. And it's going to be curious to see which one winds up winning out in the end here. So, um, yeah, certainly wouldn't fault anybody for taking the Colts team total instead of the full game over in this one. Final game on Saturday is the Denver Broncos at the Detroit Lions. This one is kicking off at 8.15 p.m. Eastern time. This one's batted around a little bit this week. We're sitting now at four and a half. The Lions are four and a half point home favorites. Total sitting at 47 and a half, 48. 
at the fast track inside of Ford Field. Adam, is this a bounce back spot for the Lions? Are we still as squeamish about this defense as you were in recent weeks? Or are the Broncos still like this? This I don't. This is a confusing game for me. I have a bet in it. I'll share that in a minute. But it was absolutely two teams that I've been looking to fade in recent weeks that I had to try and figure out which team do I want to fade more. <laughs> um, if I get to that spot, then I often will just pass on a game. But you know, I, I when I look at what we're yeah. getting right now defensively out of the Denver Broncos, that scares me a little bit for what it means for the potential for a bounce back for this uh, for this. Um, Detroit team, um, something's not right right now with the Lions. And maybe it's just fourth down conversions that didn't go their way. Maybe it, maybe it's just hitting a lull in the middle of the season. But I wouldn't necessarily want to find that lull against this Denver defense. So I can't get to the point of taking Denver. Um, I can't get to the point of looking at Detroit as a bounce back. For me, it's probably a game that I would pass on entirely just because I don't really know what's wrong with Detroit's offense at the moment. And for me to try to handicap what the Lions are going to do, it has to be more about the offense. I, I don't, you know, the defense showed you again last week that it's not up to the task right now. Um, when it comes to the total in this game, you're right. I heard you mention the, the, the fast track. You get Jared Goff back inside, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just going to say 48 continues to be a very high number in today's NFL with two offenses that have shown that they can move the ball and not put points on the board. So if you made me bet something in this game, I would probably bet under 48, but I'm going to pass on it. I very nervously bet on the Lions to cover this number. And I decided I still hate the Broncos. And I hate specifically the Broncos if they're going to wind up in a negative game script here. First of all, let's let's start with what I see with the Lions offense. They are getting Taylor Decker and, and Frank Ragnall back on the offensive line, which is a big deal. Both were full participants on the final injury report, which was Thursday since this was a Saturday game. And I think Detroit's going to be able to run the ball really well in this one. That's a that's a great starting point for Jared Goff to take some pressure off of him because since week seven, the Denver defense is 26th in rushing success rate allowed when you filter out garbage time. And and we know how potent Jameer Gibbs and, and David Montgomery can be. The flip side here is the Denver offense. And since week seven, which is the start of their winning streak, they've only lost one game since week seven. The offense still isn't impressing. If you, if you filter out garbage time, Russell Wilson and company are still 20th by EPA and success rate and 26th in drop back success rate. So they, they've had very poor pass game consistency down to down. And what we've seen is just some fourth quarter magic. If you just look at fourth quarter advanced metrics, they're in that span since week seven, they're, they're top 10 in the league. So a lot of comebacks, um, you know, some, I, I don't know how much, like Adam, tell me if you disagree, but, but over time, it seems that what you do in the fourth quarter is less predictive than what we see in the first three quarters. At least that's kind of what I've seen. You know, if, if there's that big of a split between what they're doing full game and what they're doing fourth quarter, that kind of makes me nervous a little bit. Sure. And, and we want to try to handicap what we know, right? And, and what is predictable is being able to look at how the teams 
perform on their script in the first quarter, right? How do they perform in those first 15 plays? The only thing you can be predictive about is when they get into X game state, do they throw it or run it more? And how fast do they play, right? We can look at pace stats and we can figure out, okay, when they're up seven or down seven, do they play faster? Do they play slower? And try to forecast what they're going to do with regard to that. But for me, a lot of that comes down to when I'm looking at those stats, I'm largely looking at, do I think X, Y, or Z team can be a backdoor cover team, right? Do I think they're going to play in such a way in the fourth quarter that even if they end up down by 14 and we're talking about a seven and a half spread, that they're live to come back and cover that seven. So, you know, a lot of fourth quarter game state is going to dictate what you get out of that team. So that can be predictable if you've got, say, a very bad team that's behind a lot that's going to throw the ball often, sure. But it's not something that I necessarily want to be basing a full game handicap on. Yeah, I'll say a little prayer that Jared and his tiny hands golf doesn't fumble the ball a couple more times here. They've had some bad turnover luck in recent weeks. And, you know, I trust this offense in the dome against a, a still a pretty tough Denver defense, but I think they run the ball really well here. I think that's a really solid matchup for them. So um, with how bad the, we've documented very well on this pod, how bad the, the Lions defense has been in recent weeks, I'm just not sure the Broncos offense can do enough to actually take advantage of it. So um, certainly not my favorite bet of the week, but uh, here goes nothing. Here goes nothing with this Detroit defense. Sunday, done with the Saturday games, on to Sunday now for week 15 in the NFL. And we will start with one of the uglier games, not just because of the teams that are playing, but because of the weather forecast. The Atlanta Falcons at the Carolina Panthers. One o'clock kickoff for this one. Falcons are a three-point road favorite as we record on Friday afternoon and what I believe is the lowest total on the board for this week, sitting at 33 and a half. Adam, I don't I don't know what the hell to do with this game, man. Like two inches of rain in the forecast, 15 mile per hour winds. Tickets are on sale on some like third party sites for 45 cents. Like Ooh, what a deal. Fees. What is that like? Yeah, I mean, like, forget Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Go check out the Carolina Panthers at Bank of America Stadium. So, like, I don't, I don't know what this is, man. Like, the Falcons couldn't get the job done in the game they should have covered last week. Carolina's actually scheming up some decent plays, it seems, but Bryce Young can't hit open receivers when they actually get open and can create separation, which still isn't very often. So you tell me what to do with this because I don't know. We're going to do a little exercise here, and I'm going to read you a box score, and then you're going to tell me roughly what you think the outcome of this game was. Okay. Okay. One team converted eight third downs. The other converted three. One team had nearly 100 yards more of total offense. Yards per play were basically the same. One team ran for 200 yards. The other ran for 97 one team possessed the ball for 35 minutes. The other team possessed it for 25. What do you think happened in this game? You don't even have to come up with an actual score. Just tell me which team won by how much you think. I would think that the former mm -hmm. beat the latter by more mm -hmm. than a field goal. I would agree with that, and I'll I'll add in turnovers, which the former had two and the latter had one, so not a huge difference. Those numbers come the from, game. 
Correct. Those numbers come from the Panthers and Saints box score last week, in which the Saints beat wow. the Panthers 28-6 to as the second <laughs> of those two teams, as the team that had 100 less yards, as the team that had less third-down conversions, as the team that ran for half the yards of the other team. That is how bad things have gotten in Carolina. They went one for seven on fourth down. In Bryce Young's defense, a lot of those were long fourth downs that they decided to go for. However, this is just how broken the Carolina offense is. And it leads me to say that no matter how good this Carolina defense has been, and they held the Saints to 207 yards and still somehow gave up 21 points because seven of those came on special teams. There's nothing more this defense can do. This offense is broken, and there's no way that you can get me to bet Carolina with the fact that this offense is broken. That being said, you talk about teams that you like to fade. I faded the Falcons last week. You're not going to get me to lay points with Desmond Ritter on the road against a good defense, so it's got to be a pass for me. Overall, if I had to bet anything, I would probably still look at under because I don't know that Carolina is an offense that can actually convert anything right now. I think a team total anything over 14 for Carolina is insane. And you can't look at anything from Atlanta and think that against a good defense. And let's be honest here. It is a Carolina defense that has a good coordinator that is getting healthier, that has a number of its pieces like J.C. Horn, like Jeremy Chin, like Brian Burns. Look at the interception Derek Brown had last week. They have the pieces to be really good on defense, but this offense cannot pay it off. Speaking of wild box scores, Desmond Ritter threw for 347 yards, almost nine yards per attempt, and the Falcons still found a way to lose that game to Tampa Bay. So, that you know, typically these would be two these these this would be two buy points for these teams, right? Like you see a resume like this, you're getting a buy low the next week, but the Panthers have shown us nothing all year to think that they're going to get some positive variance. This is what the Falcons are with the pace that they play and the head coach that they have. And you're never backing them to win by more than a field goal at this point. So, yeah, it's it's just a complete pass for me. And I I don't know. Yeah, I, I say we just a, move on, Adam. Yeah, I'll just bring one more point with with Carolina. You, you, you look and you say, how could that box score be? Right. And they had one very long play that took them down to the one yard line of the Saints and you know what they did with that <laughs> they failed on first down they got sacked on second down they threw it away on third down and somehow first and goal at the one became a 29 yard field goal that's how bad this offense is Bryce Young went 13 for 36 last week so with that I'm happy to move on the best part about the Panthers there now has been that everybody on social media from the Panthers fans is saying that they should change the play caller. So they got to fire Thomas Brown and Thomas Brown's wife goes on Twitter and said, we are fired. Like we just don't have anybody else that can call the plays. Like we're not going to be here next year. What do you want us to do? Like we are fired. So <laughs> it's, it's just a complete, she's not wrong Carolina right now. She's not wrong. She is not wrong. Happy holidays to all the Carolina Panthers fans. It's, it's rough out there. Next game that we're going to talk about is a very intriguing one, in my opinion. The Chicago Bears at the Cleveland Browns. Another early kickoff on Sunday, and we have gotten some more Bears action. This has moved from three and a half down to the key number of three across the board. Total in this one sitting at 38, 38 and a half. 
Adam, it certainly appears evident that the sharp money for multiple weeks now disagrees with what the odds makers are doing with the Chicago Bears because this is now a few weeks in a row where money has come in in support of the Chicago Bears. I know at our staff at thelines.com, we're at the point now where most of us have the Bears as a top 20 team in the NFL. They've been steadily moving up from the the bottom of the barrel in the NFL. And now we have a situation where Joe Flacco is now the darling of the NFL. He's a three-point favorite in the year of our Lord 2023 somehow. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm taking the Bears here. And, and I'll get into more reasons here in a minute. But I'm just curious if, you know, you and I have railed against the Bears and Bears backers for a lot of the season they were the complete dumpster fire of the nfl in the month of september but i'm curious now if you're starting to believe a little bit that this is closer to a league average team i can give you league average yeah i i can give you league average because of the fact that i watched a lot of justin fields from last week in that game against the tread i really wanted to get a sense of is this something I can buy that Justin Fields is figuring it out a little bit? And it's better. It's not where it needs to be, but it's better because I saw Justin Fields multiple times still take too long in the pocket, take sacks, have to really work to throw the ball away late. Like there's a lot in there that says to me, all right, there are problems. But I also saw a lot of possessions in which Justin Fields was able to drop back, hit his back foot, make the throw, take the short throw, know when to run. All of those things tell me that, that Justin Fields is starting to kind of figure it out. And I don't know that that means that the ceiling is where we initially thought it was, but it's at least not the floor that it was starting to look like for Justin Fields where he was just going to spend six, seven, 20 minutes in the pocket and you know wait for someone to come hit him. That said, even though Cleveland's defense has not played up to the level that it did at the beginning of the season, this is going to be by far the biggest test that Justin Fields, or at least what, what are we going to call it, the new and improved version of Justin Fields has faced. Uh, this is going to be a challenge for him on a level that he has not seen yet against a uh, Cincinnati, I should say, uh, Cleveland, wrong part of Ohio, the Cleveland defense that is pretty healthy now, has most of its pieces back, I actually think I'm on the other side of this with Cleveland, largely for the defense. Um, again, I might be proven wrong by this improvement of Justin Fields. It wouldn't be the first time that I was on the other side of it. I agree with you that they're a league average team. I also think that this Cleveland defense, again, at home, continues to be a defense that is a game changer for the Cleveland Browns and Joe Flacco just has to be average, not elite Joe Flacco for them to be able to succeed. It does look like Denzel Ward will play their, their star cornerback for Cleveland. He got in a couple of limited practices to start the week with a shoulder injury. They will be without Juan Thornhill. It appears um, one of their starting safeties. He's been missing some time. Um, yeah. I think Kareem Hunt got in a limited practice on Thursday after being a DMP on Wednesday. So, and then I, I guess Miles Garrett is still fine. Um, full the, practice on Thursday, yeah. That shoulder injury. Yep. So he's he's full. So he's going to be out there. Uh, so we have to assume they're going to be pretty healthy here. For me, you know, three and a half 
is still solid for for Chicago. I I bought that. I I agree. I would be a little queasy at, at three. I think the hook is important here for me. Well, and the um, other thing is, Stephen, where, where if you look across the board right now at this game, there are actually threes juiced both ways. I would definitely say if you're hmm. thinking about the Cleveland Browns, you could even wait until one of those even money threes. If it goes the other direction, right? Like if you feel like, oh no, Cleveland's starting to take some money coming back the other way, you could still get on three at minus 20 or three at, uh, you know, at standard juice before it goes up to three and a half. It'll be out there for you somewhere because I think if you want to wait and if the sharp money really is coming in all on Chicago, then if you can get this to two and a half, then obviously you're in a pretty good spot. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't blame anybody for betting the Browns if this does get to two and a half. For me, though, at, when it was when it's at three and a half, if we do get there, just in case people see this at any point and the number gets there, for me at that point, the handicap was very much just as much about the the Bears' defense as it was the Browns' defense. And in fact, if you look over the past five weeks, the past six weeks, it's the Bears who have a better defense by EPA and success rate. And since week nine, the Bears also have a top five defense by dropback EPA, which is particularly important in this game because Kevin Stefanski is letting Joe Flacco throw the ball. They have gone from 27th in the NFL to second in pass rate when it's a neutral game state, when the game is within six points either way. So um, that deficiency in the Browns defense defending the pass has gotten a lot better in recent weeks, and it's going to be called upon in this game. Absolutely. And um the Browns defense also plays the number one rate of man coverage in the league. And typically that's a challenge for the defense when they're facing a mobile quarterback, unless you're going to spy them. So I'm very curious to see if fields has some running lanes in this one, just based on the style of defense that Cleveland likes to play. The other side here too, is, you know, the Browns took another significant injury coming into this one on the offensive side. They, they're down another tackle. They're down to a third string tackle on one side of the offensive line. So I assume Montez Sweat for the Bears is going to be picking on that side of the offensive line. So I'm curious how much time Joe Flacco is going to have to operate in this game. So I, I think um, it's it, I I still think the Browns are more likely to win. I think the, the line implies that. But I thought three and a half was a decent buy point. The last question I want to ask you about this game, Adam. It's been a lot of debate about NFL coach of the year at this point. For the most part, it's been Dan Campbell and Mike McDaniel as the favorites in the market. I think both those guys are extremely vulnerable. They wouldn't get either of my vote. And it seems like there's an interest in kind of the Brian Dable mold we saw last year, a team that wasn't expected to do much to come on, make the playoffs. So we have a couple options like that and Shane Steichen, maybe Sean Payton if the Broncos make the playoffs. But isn't Kevin Stefanski a lot more live than the 14 to 1 odds indicate here, considering how many injuries they've had, considering that he's on his fourth quarterback at this point, and they're still going to make the playoffs, it looks like. You absolutely can can make a case for him. I think what's interesting about this year is that it's really difficult to make a firm case for anyone. So seeing, you know, right now DraftKings, Dan Campbell two to one, D'Amico Ryan's three to one it's really hard for me to to get behind either of those because you can pick pretty clear holes in just about anybody. The top three candidates, like top four candidates for coach of the year on the board right now, and Campbell, Ryans, McDaniel, and Steichen all lost last week and all lost in pretty spectacular fashion. So it's really difficult for me to, to get behind any of those. Stefanski at 14 to one, I think the only thing that's working against Stefanski is a recent win of the award. Um, 
I think what what True. is interesting to me is when the board looks like this and there's so much variance involved, I, I think I want to look a little farther down and try to find somebody who I think could get some sentiment. You know, is this Cincinnati team going to continue to play the way that it has for the rest of the year? Are they going to maybe backdoor their way into the playoffs? It would be hard, but with the way the offense is going right now, would it be impossible? Probably not. Zach Taylor's at 22 um at the moment um i don't know man you know nick sirianni is still out there at 30 i know he also is a recent winner so i don't i don't know it's tough i i don't mind stefanski at 14 to 1 to answer your your question directly but i also feel like they've got to probably win the division for that to happen that's gonna be tough with baltimore out there I hadn't thought about Zach Taylor, but you make a very good point on him. You know, dealing with Joe Burrow from the start at the very beginning of the season and somehow navigating all this if they were to make the playoffs. I think, yeah, it, I wouldn't surprise me in the least if he's a finalist at that point. But the greater point here, everybody, is coach of the year seems pretty wide open right now. And yes, we're not sure the two guys at the top of the board should be the favorites. So something to keep an eye on there if you want to take a shot on somebody. The Tennessee Titans host the Houston Texans, or at least what's left of the Houston Texans this week. A lot of injuries for Houston, which has moved this from, I think it was Texans minus three and a half on the look ahead. And now we are all the way to Titans as a three-point favorite, potentially even moving to three and a half here as we're sitting here, juice threes on the board. Total of 37, 37 and a half. Just to get everybody up to speed on the injury situation here, C.J. Stroud's in the concussion protocol, hasn't practiced all week, which he would be the first to pass protocol after not having practiced all week. I'm pretty sure it's a rule that you have to get a full participation in to even play. So uh, the latest reports are that he's unlikely to play. Nico Collins looks like he's unlikely to play. So now combined with Tank Dell on IR, they're down their top two receivers. It looks like Will Anderson is doubtful for this game. Their top pass rusher, the the guy who was in the mix for rookie of the year on the defensive side of the ball. They have a linebacker that's doubtful, a couple other guys who are questionable, including offensive linemen. So if you're wondering why it's moved almost, I guess, six, seven points from the look ahead here. Well, that's why Adam, and now you have to figure out what to do with this game, because do you want to take the points with Davis mills at quarterback, throwing to the number three, four and five receivers in this offense and the tight ends. And on the other side, Jeffrey Simmons, the most important player on the defense for the Titans, is also on two DNPs coming into today after not playing last week. Matt likes to talk often about firing one game on a rocket ship into the sun and not going anywhere <laughs> near it. This is my rocket ship game for the week. I want nothing to do with Houston and Tennessee, and I will not waste anybody's time with more analysis of it because there's way too much up in the air to try to give you anything concrete about how to bet this game for me. Yeah, and I'll just give everybody a friendly reminder who does not remember the Davis Mills experience from the past couple of years. From 2021 to 2022, Davis Mills, among quarterbacks with 1,000 plays, so basically the full-time starters over the past couple of years, well, he was dead last in EPA per play, success rate, and completion percentage over expected. So if you think you're getting a lot of points with Davis Mills, I'll just say I'm not so sure you're getting enough, even against a team that I do not have in the top 20 right now in the Tennessee Titans. So um, yeah, I, for me, if, if you're in circa, it might be kind of a free square for whatever reason, they posted a minus two and a half 
for this game on the Titans. So you might get some, whether it's Circa or another Pick'em contest, just see what they, they posted the Titans as because you might get a, a decent option there if you're in any of these Pick'em contests around the country. So um, that might be the only way I'm interested in this game is is looking at that and the Titans if you're going to get some CLV on a static line that's being offered. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Adam. Fire it into the sun and just pray that the Texans somehow pull an upset here in my – futures on Houston to make the playoffs don't just go crashing into the ocean by the end of this season because it was looking so good for so long there and I don't know where we're headed now with the Houston Texans the Kansas City Chiefs looking to bounce back go on the road to the New England Patriots who pulled off um, quasi stunner on Thursday night football we could go against the Pittsburgh Steelers another early kickoff here in Foxborough this one now sitting at eight, eight and a half for the Chiefs as road favorites. Total of 37. Adam, we saw 10, nine and a half at the start of the week, all the way down to seven and a half. Before now, we've gotten some buyback on the Chiefs and we're back to eight, eight and a half here. Very curious where you land on this one because we know that the Chiefs have had trouble winning by large margins this season. And. We also know for the most part that the Patriots have been a dumpster fire this year, but what do you make of what we saw last week? I am not going to get too into what the Patriots did last week because I think there's there are reasons to look at that game in terms of where the Pittsburgh Steelers are right now and say that they caught them at just the right time for the Patriots to have the kind of performance they did and ultimately just barely hang on to win in the end. Uh, But we got to talk more about the Chiefs and what's going on Mm -hmm. right now. I'm not ready to sell the Chiefs, to be clear, but I am ready to have a frank discussion about where they are right now and what we need to do with them in terms of evaluating them. So in the second half of the season, such as it is, week eight to week 14 as we come into these games, EPA per play on offense is 11th. I don't think that will will really surprise anyone because we've seen the struggles they have to generate explosive plays. What concerns me in this matchup, and the reason that I don't think that the Kansas City teaser leg is a slam dunk, I'm not saying don't play it. I'm just saying think long and hard before you do. The reason I don't think it's a slam dunk is they are 32nd in EPA per play against the run in the second half of this season. And it is not by a small margin. They are as far from Seattle. They are 32nd. Seattle is 31st. They are as far from Seattle as Seattle is from the Chargers who are in 26th. So you're looking at a team that is giving up in terms of rush EPA by far the most in the league. And to me, against the New England team where we feel like maybe that's the one thing they still can do is run the football. Um, I would like to go after this one on Zeke Elliott props. I I feel like I feel more comfortable right now. DraftKings is sitting 60 and a half, which again would normally look like a pretty inflated number in 2023. However, their number one back isn't there. This is the Zeke show and it was the Zeke show last week and it's going to be the Zeke show again this week. Bill Belichick is smart enough to look at this Kansas City defense and know where it's weak and to know that he's not going to expose Bailey Zappi to having to beat the Kansas City Chiefs with all of the blitzes that Steve Spagnuolo is going to throw out there from the Kansas City side. So I would be looking at 
Zeke yardage overs. I think even more importantly, I would be looking at Zeke carries overs when they post to know what I uh, what I really want. But I think there's enough question for me about can the New England Patriots muddy things up enough on the defensive side of the ball for uh, for Patrick Mahomes that I definitely don't want to get involved in the spread. I would be a little bit scared of the teaser if you need that leg because it's a weak week for teasers. Yes, that makes sense. It's a bad week for teasers. Uh, then you absolutely could still throw Kansas City in there, and I think that would be fine. But it would not be my first choice to put on the card. The Ezekiel Elliott angle is very interesting to me because few, if any, running backs are playing more than 90% of snaps for their team at this point. And that's what Ezekiel Elliott did last week against Pittsburgh. Played 52 of 57 snaps in that game. 22 carries for 68 yards and added seven receptions on eight targets for 72 yards and a touchdown. That is extreme volume. Props are out for him, Adam. We're at 60.5 on the rushing yards, 18.5 on the rushing attempts, which is quite a bit lower than 22 from last week, right? And longest rush, 13. I don't know if I want anything like long or explosive with Ezekiel Elliott, but pure volume, right? Yeah, I think you know where I would actually look now that uh, and I was uh, thank you for finding finding that using I'm sure the uh, the props tool at the lines.com. Um I am now looking at combined rush and receiving total and I'm wondering if maybe that is the way to go in case they decide that it's the short screen game that makes more sense to try to negate the pass rush of Kansas City, right? Because that would make a lot of sense if they wanted to use some of those screens to try to slow down the blitz. 83 and a half is the combined yardage total for rush and receive. I think that's where I would land on this game is if you think he's going to get anything like that target volume again this week, then you combine rush and receive. You figure he touches the ball 23, 24 times in this game. Then I'm only asking him to get three and a half yards every time to be able to get to that number. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense for me. And, and for those that are also curious in the receiving yards, only 18 and a half. That's the number right now. That's the prop. 18 and a half for receiving yards on on Zeke after he went for uh, 72 last week and 40 the week before against the Chargers. So um, I'll, I'll add a little bit more here on, on the teaser angle. I did bet New England plus 10 at the very start of the week. That number's long gone. That's not going to help anybody now. That, that key number's not coming back, I don't think. But at least with the teaser leg, I agree that it, it kind of makes me queasy. Like, listen, I have been right there at the front of the line getting punished with teasing down road favorites this year. They have not been all that successful for the most part this season. But I will at least say that the Patriots defense for all of their advanced metrics, there's at least a case to be made that they are exactly what we thought they were last year, where they're feasting on bad quarterbacks and piling up numbers against putrid offenses because this season they've given up 25 to the Eagles, 24 and 31 to the Dolphins, 38 to the Cowboys and 25 to the Bills. They haven't been anywhere near as dominant when they've actually played a functioning NFL offense this year. And I'm certainly not about to buy high on Bailey Zappi basically on one half of football. So I I think I, I certainly like it more than, you know, say Miami as a teaser leg this week, Adam. 
Yeah, and, and I would just add one caveat to that on the Eagles. Seven of those were on a Mac Jones pick six uh, as well. So, you know, they, they have yeah. had some moments where Mac Jones has put them in very, very bad situations, whether it's actual pick sixes, which have happened, I believe, four times this year. I think Mac Jones had four pick sixes while he was the starting quarterback. So Bailey Zappi, you would hope, isn't going to do that, although he also has a pick six on his ledger this year. But if you believe anything of what you saw last week, and you believe anything of how weak the Kansas City rush defense has been, I think there is a game script here that gets me to being comfortable with, uh, you know, again, I talked about it from the Ezekiel Elliott angle here, but with a low total like this, with all the points involved, we've seen this year overall that I think you feel more comfortable, at least, if you're getting points than laying points in a game like this. Chiefs are less than a field goal against the Ravens, Dolphins, and Jaguars in the playoffs. You run into the run into the window to back Mahomes at that low point. Name those teams again. The 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 three the other three top teams in the AFC: the Ravens, the Dolphins, mm-hmm. and the Jaguars. I'm not betting them. Um, well, I am betting them against the Jaguars for sure. Um, I don't think that's that's there's not a lot of question involved in that one for me. Um, the Jaguars are way too volatile. We have no idea how healthy Trevor Lawrence is or will be. Uh, the Ravens, probably not that rushing offense for Baltimore can probably dismantle what Kansas City has right now. So I'm probably taking the points with the Ravens in that one. And Miami's tough. I don't know what to do with with Miami because yeah, when we saw the two teams, they, right? right? And and when we saw them play earlier this year, it's the Germany game. So how much credence do I put in a twenty-one to fourteen final from what we saw there? You know, like you mentioned, we don't know how healthy Tyree Tyre Kill is at at this point. So yeah, I think I'm probably one 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 on the things you mentioned there. Yeah, but it's at least interesting that it isn't a slam dunk that it's the Chiefs against all three of them, which we probably would have said at this time last year. No, and the other you also have to remember that at least one of those games is probably going to be on the road. Yep. Yeah, one seed definitely not looking good for Kansas City uh, at this point. New York Giants on the road against the New Orleans Saints. This one has bounced around a little bit, too. Now we're at five and a half. The Saints are five and a half point home favorites total in this one. We'll get to in a minute here. Lost my board. But, uh, you know, it's interesting here that, you know, Tommy DeVito, Adam, for your Giants, gets some national TV love. I think his agent got more love than uh, than the New Orleans Saints did, than the actual Giants did. His agent is like out of Goodfellas, but I don't. I, I I don't. I'm curious what you think of this one because the Saints are never a team for me that I want to back as this big of a favorite. They are just frustrating as hell with Derek Carr. Then again, this kind of feels like a buy high for the Giants too. I don't, I'm not sure this was this would have been south of a touchdown a couple of weeks ago with Tommy DeVito. This is such a hard game to handicap. I, I, uh, I'll start by saying, if you want to skip ahead, I'm passing and, you know, hit the plus 30 and I'll, I'll yeah. give you just a little bit of analysis here, but no Chris Olave for the last two days at practice. We already know how weak this offense has looked. Taysom Hill has been limited. Rashid Shahid has been limited. Ryan Ramchek has been limited. They are not a healthy team on the offensive side of the ball. I think we started to see the cracks in the armor last week for the Saints. You had Derek Carr arguing with offensive linemen. They only put up 200 yards against Carolina. 
Uh, the Giants have played reasonably on the defensive side of the ball this year. Um, as for the Tommy Cutlets experience, I hate the fact that I can't really lean into this. I grew up with all of the chicken cutlets as a kid in New York. Like, my mom made chicken cutlets <laughs> all the time. I still love to go to Rocky's Deli in Millwood, New York, and get the chicken cutlet sub. I make the chicken cutlets myself. I have a very nice uh, batter and breading that I know how to do from my mom. Uh, and I enjoy all of those cutlets. But yet Tommy Cutlets has come in, and I'm happy for him. I am happy for his agent and his parents and all of northern New Jersey. But this man has screwed up their chances to get a generational quarterback prospect. They are no longer anywhere in the discussion for the top two picks. They are probably going to pick somewhere around nine or ten, and they're probably going to continue to be in some level of purgatory when Daniel Jones gets back. So I wish I could have more fun with it than I am. Your coach is too good, man. Like, you have Brian Dable, who has made Tommy DeVito competent. Like, your coach is too good to lose enough I games know. to get a generational quarterback, and you're stuck. Like, I don't know what else to say. And now like, that's know. kind of why I'm still tempted to take a bad number here with the Giants, because I get Brian Dable, who apparently does not care about the draft, against this joke of a coaching staff and a joke of a quarterback. I just can't do it. I'll wait till live markets. Maybe I can get over a touchdown here in live betting. And at that point, I might be interested in the New York Giants. Um, it's just there's it was so funny. You look at just last week. You know, obviously, it, it's been a punchline at this point that Zach Wilson and Tommy DeVito were the players of the week in each conference. It's just crazy alternate reality we're living in here. But it wasn't just them at the top of the you know EPA plus CPOE composite for last week. It was, you know. Browning as well. So I'm just saying that I'm not I'm I'm making myself not run to the window to bet these terrible quarterbacks who had one good week in DeVito's case, he had 2 weeks to prepare with a mastermind on offense to get ready for it off of a late season bye against the Packers at home. And now this is a tough spot. So let's not forget that DeVito before that primetime performance was at or near the bottom in basically every advanced metric since he took over as the starting quarterback of the Giants. So I can't I can't take six here for New York and we'll we'll move on. The New York Jets on the road against the Miami Dolphins. The other player of the week, Zach Wilson, has a bit of a resurgence in his first start back off the bench. We are out of teaser range now for Miami. We are at nine and a half now as home favorites with a total of 37, 37 and a half. Adam, this is another one of the big weather games this week. It looks like lots of wind, sustained winds between 20 and 30 miles per hour was the early week forecast. Uh, we're going to have rain in this game as well. And we have a big number and a giant injury report for the Miami Dolphins. Tyreek Hill is questionable despite not having played the entire week. Four of their five offensive linemen were injured on the report this week. Not sure how healthy they will be. They had two DBs on the injury report as well. All of these things you have to monitor before even considering what to do with Miami this week. And now that we're at nine and a half, I, I don't think it's ever Miami for me in this game with the state of things for the Dolphins. I could absolutely understand passing on that number. Um, if you listen to 
some of the folks who know South Florida well and who know that stadium well, they talk about the fact that rain and wind, because of the orientation of the stadium, tend to not have the same effect as in other places. You're not going to get the kind of deluge you had between the Jets and Houston last week or some of the Cleveland games that we've seen. Just have a little bit of caution in terms of using that as a big part of your handicap. Obviously, take it into account when you've got uh, you know Zach Wilson, a quarterback. But then again, look what the weather looked like last week when Zach Wilson balled out uh, against the Houston Texans. On the other side of this for the Miami Dolphins, we saw what it looks like when Tyreek Hill isn't on the field for this team. It's it's rough, right? I mean, Tyreek Hill was limited. He might be able to go this week. He might not. And all of that said, I think 37 is a little bit too low for where Miami can go in this game. It, look, Miami didn't play great on the offensive side of the ball last week, and they put up 27. And so I don't think the Jets are a 30-point team by any stretch of the imagination. However... I also just watched the Miami Dolphins defensively not look as good as they had in spots. This is an average defense, right? They were kind of rough at the beginning of the year. They were really good when they got healthy. Jalen Phillips going out really hurts them in terms of their ability to generate pressure on passer. And look, you have to at least give a small amount of signal to what you saw from Zach Wilson last week because what you saw out of him was understanding that Garrett Wilson is his best receiver and looking for him constantly. And also he just looked a little calmer in the pocket. And I think you got just a little bit of don't give an F Zach Wilson in that game. So if I'm talking about trying to get to 37 with the Miami Dolphins offense and with a quarterback in Zach Wilson, who at least looked not incompetent last week, that's the way I would want to go about this game. Yeah, I I can't. I would just advise everybody watching to go check the final injury report on the Dolphins. Check the inactives, most notably that offensive line. They the last time their offensive line was this banged up was against the Philadelphia Eagles, and it was a struggle bus. They they could not move the ball very well at all. So uh, it's just as we record here on Friday afternoon on the Miami side, I I just need to know. I, you make good points about the weather. You know, I have heard that as well about about Hard Rock Stadium. Um, but that offensive line for Miami, I need to know what's going on there, and especially Tyreek Hill. You know, yeah, I don't I think he's going to be one hundred percent if he plays. But yeah, go ahead, Adam. Well, I was just going to make a, a slight adjustment to what I was saying. They didn't put up twenty seven last week. They put up twenty with the pick six from from Will Levis. And as for Tyreek Hill, I, you know, you start to run into a question there of if he's not healthy, and let's say he does play and he's less than healthy. Where's Sauce Gardner going to be, right? Like, is, is Sauce Gardner going to be on? Yeah, might put injured... him on Waddle, right? He might be on Waddle, and then they might just deal with a Tyreek who isn't as explosive. I don't know. There's a lot of question out there in terms of trying to handicap a side in this game. Bet basketball, baseball, or golf with a bonus bet of up to $1,050 at BetMGM. Sign up and use bonus code PLAYBONUS50 and you're on your way with the king of sportsbooks. The Lions podcast listeners can get the BetMGM app today and use promo code PLAYBONUS50 to claim your exclusive welcome bonus of up to $1,050 after your first bet. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. This is a new customer offer, 21 years or older to wager. 
Arizona, Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. U.S. promotional offers not available in Nevada, New York, or Ontario. Please gamble responsibly. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Colorado, Kansas, and Nevada, call 1-800-522-4700. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050. In Iowa, call 800 bets off and call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Next game, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Green Bay Packers. This one has Green Bay around a juice three. Actually, we're at three and a halfs now um, with juice on the three and a half for the Bucks at as the dog here. And over under in this one sitting at 42, 42 and a half. Uh, I assume this was going to get to three and a half, Adam. This is a really, really concerning injury report for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. Uh, looks like Golston's going to be out. Vita Vea is a game time decision. They're getting David back, but you know, a slew of other players are going to be game time decisions here for Tampa Bay on the defensive side of the ball. For the Green Bay Packers, it does not look like that uh, Christian Watson will be back for this one. But despite A.J. Dillon having a broken thumb, it does look like Aaron Jones is trending towards playing. So they'll get the starting running back uh, back in the lineup for Green Bay. And also Quay Walker got in a limited practice on Thursday. So he's trending towards getting back on the field for this defense as well. So I would say... A lot going on here with both injury reports, but at this juncture, a lot more positive for Green Bay, and I'm guessing that's why we came off the three. It's not often in this particular year, Stephen, where I look at a total and think to myself, that's too low because everything has played Hmm. under throughout this season. Uh, You know I've probably been higher on Tampa than a lot of people around here throughout the season, and I had him on the teaser leg last week, would have covered regardless, but yet what did Baker Mayfield do? He went down at the end of the game. They only needed a field goal to tie, and he went down and brought them into the damn end zone. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now by the tiebreakers are leading for the division. I hope you listened to us when we talked about it a few weeks ago and said to take Tampa at 5-1 to one to win the South because you're pretty live on that right now. Uh, the performance from Green Bay last week Probably should have been a little more expected than it was, and I'll raise my hand on that. I didn't have a play in in Green Bay and the Giants, but I'm not surprised to see at least a little bit of a step back with Wink Martindale's blitzing defense against Jordan Love. He he wasn't accurate, um, and that's a little more of what we saw early in the season from Jordan Love. That said, look what happened to Desmond Ritter last week. He went from Desmond Ritter to Dan Marino. 340-plus yards against this Tampa Bay defense. I think you're going to see Jordan Love go back to what Jordan Love should look like this week. I also think that there is signal in just how good Tampa Bay's offense has been for most of this year. The the second half of the season, if you look at these two offenses, Green Bay 5th in EPA per play, Tampa's 13th in EPA per play. 
I think 42 might be a little bit too low. I, um, very few hard plays for me this week in terms of sides, more totals that I find interesting. I think this thing is probably too low. I think the uh, both of these teams are more than capable of putting up 20. No weather is expected in Green Bay for this one, so that's where I'm at. I certainly understand your opinion on on the total because what's the most likely out of game state here, right? The Packers get up, forces Todd Bowles to not be as run heavy on early downs as he likes to be, and they're terrible at running the ball. So they keep trying to slam into a brick wall doing that. And they're they're good passing the ball, but they almost have to get down in games to unlock the most efficient version of their offense. So if that's going to happen, then I agree that we, we might get over the total here. Um, I would be very pleased if the Bucks win another one here because it probably makes Baker Mayfield more of a viable candidate for comeback player of the year. I don't know if DeMar Hamlin can be beat, but you know, I'm sitting on a nice big ticket on, on Baker Mayfield at a huge number earlier in the season, and I think he would be a, a really solid candidate from what we've seen in recent years with how people vote on that. But I I bet Packers minus three in this one. And to me, it's just about what we've seen from the Bucks when they play inside their crappy division. And then when they play teams outside of the NFC South, they're three and one in the NFC South. They're three and six against everybody else. Those three wins were against the bears when they were a dumpster fire in September against Will Levis and one of his first three starts. And then when they had the crazy turnover margin week one against Minnesota, where they won that game, despite 3.6 yards per play, the losses they have against non NFC South teams, Blowout loss against the Lions, what should have been a blowout loss against the Bills, if not for the luckiest tip pass at the end of the game and a backdoor cover for Tampa, a shootout loss to the Texans where they should not have covered, if not for the Texans kicker getting hurt, down 20 after three quarters of the 49ers, and down 10 for most of the second half against the Colts and failed to cover that game as well. I'm I'm pretty happy taking the Packers here off of the loss uh, at the key number of three. Um, hopefully you guys can get that when it pops up, but I, I still wouldn't be mad at you if you bet three and a half here with what we've seen with the Bucks, depending on what opponent they have played uh, this season. San Francisco 49ers on the road against the Arizona Cardinals. Clearly number one team in the NFL at this point across everybody's power rankings, probably by a decent margin against every other team in the NFL. But we have seen some interest in the Cardinals that has moved this spread down from 13, 13 and a half now to 12, 12 and a half, depending on where you shop total in this one sitting at 48, 48 and a half. I can tell you, Adam, that Mo Nawara on our sister podcast, beat the closing number, had some interest in Arizona in this one 49ers injury report on the defensive side. Doesn't look completely clean. Potentially they're looking at this as a spot where they can just get some guys healthy and sit them out without, you know, risking, a loss here most likely. So where do you land on this? Because it's a big number. The 49ers are a wagon, but it's still a big number. You're right. It's, it's, it's a huge number, but this is the debate we get into every week, seemingly at this point with ourselves on what to do with teams facing big spreads against San Francisco, because we have seen just what a bully this San Francisco team can be yeah. when it gets up, right? This is not a team where you think to yourself, well, the back door is always open. Not, not really with the way that you have to handicap the 49ers because 
they're so efficient that even when you look at them and say, oh, they're going to kind of ramp things down and we'll just get some Jordan Mason runs here. They're still so good blocking up front that even the backup <laughs> running backs are taking off for big gains, right? They, it's almost like they can't help but score. Even when they try to slow it down, you can't really slow it down all that much. So here's what I find interesting about the uh, about this game. It is a slightly different way to look at it and I don't want to get involved with cider total I'll say that right from the jump but I want to talk about Kyler Murray running the ball because we know that this pass rush healthy or not is going to give this Arizona offensive line problems uh, Josh Dobbs spent a decent amount of time running for his life and Kyler Murray will as well so let's go and look at since he came back is Kyler Murray running the ball are they using him on the ground you look at the last few weeks against Atlanta, six carries for 33 against Houston, seven for 51 against the Rams, one for two. But that was a game in which they were out of it right from the jump. And then against the Pittsburgh Steelers, he carried it nine times for 20 yards. I realize that you could end up in a game state in which San Francisco is blowing them out so much that Kyler Murray feels like he has to be a pocket passer and throw the ball. I don't think he's going to have the option, whether it's designed runs early in the game, whether it's him being flushed out of the pocket later in the game. Right now, his rushing attempt prop is sitting five and a half. I like over on Kyler Murray rushing attempts in this game. The yardage number is 32 and a half. I think that's probably right around where it should be. But considering he's gone over that amount of attempts in three of the last four games, including nine against the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think I would rather bet on what I know, which is that the Arizona Cardinals are going to be in a game state in which Kyler Murray is going to be dropping back. And if I know he's going to be dropping back, I don't have to try to figure out who he's going to throw to or how much he's going to throw for or how good the San Francisco defense is. I do want to try to factor in he's going to get flush enough to run a bunch of times. And I think that is something we've already seen with him coming back from this knee injury? I think it's a good look. I think it becomes an even better look if this injury report trends the way I think it will because they the Niners have five defensive starters that were back-to-back -back DMPs on Wednesday and Thursday. We don't have the final injury report yet, but if those five guys do not play, then I like that look and pretty confident that the Niners are going to be uh, you know, getting their usual 28 to 35 points in, against this Arizona defense. So if the defense for the Niners is a little bit out of whack here, we saw Arizona move the ball against the Niners in the first meeting between these two teams when they didn't have um, as much at their disposal and almost backdoor covered that if not for the ball going through Zach Ertz's hands in the end zone. So the, the over might be decent here. And control. Oh my God. I had zone. forgotten about that Zach Ertz play. Oh, that is a bad memory coming right? back right there. Oh, 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 sorry. I had That's... the Niners. So that was one of my more luckier covers. Oh my year. God. That was, that was trauma for a lot of people. All right. All right. Like, on we go. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on here. Enough yeah. about a game with a two touchdown to uh, spread essentially here. The, the Washington commanders come off a very late buy to go on the road to take on the Los Angeles Rams. This spread has not moved all week. It's been six and a half for the most part. I think maybe one book or two touched seven and quickly came back. Uh, so we've basically locked in here for the most part at six and a half for the Rams as home favorites total in this one 50 and a half Adam the Rams look good 
We've talked in recent weeks about whether we want to buy on this team now that Kyron Williams is back. L.A. is top three by EPA and top five by success rate since Kyron Williams returned to the backfield. If you take away garbage time to filter out one of those games against Arizona, they're still top five overall by EPA, top seven in the rush game, top six by dropback EPA. And we know that Washington's defense is horrendously bad. They are just at the bottom of the league, basically across the board. And now Sam Howell in this offense can't really be relied on to move the ball very well either. Their offense is outside the top 20 in the past six weeks here. So uh, again, I'll tease that, that Mo Nawara is backing the Rams here at minus six and a half. You can listen to his reasons why over on beat the closing number, but I'm curious if you're buying the Rams here as well. I would, if I were to get involved with a side, uh, the Rams would definitely be it for me. Washington is one of those high variance teams that you just don't know what you're going to get um, week to week. Yeah. Now, here's what you do know, and this is a little one of those that's just a little bit deeper inside the statistics. If we go look at rushing props, we see Kyron Williams at 93 and a half rushing yards. Okay, that makes sense for how good he's been since coming back from injury. But here's a little peek inside what we've seen from the Washington Commanders over the second half of the season. They are dead last in EPA per play on defense outside of garbage time. They are by far dead last in dropback EPA in garbage time. Want to take a guess at where they are in rushing EPA allowed? Yeah, not just great. just take a shot. Uh, mm, I don't middle of the pack. They are number two. They are the second best defense wow. against the run in the second half of this season. Only the New England Patriots have been better than them against the run in terms of success rate. They are also second against the run. So I would focus everything I have on this in this game on playing both unders in the rush game for the Rams and overs in the passing game for the Rams. Pick your favorite, do whatever you want, whether it's Stafford, Cup, Nakua, whatever you like. Uh, but for me, it's probably actually under on that Kyron Williams rushing number because 93 and a half, is, that's a Derrick Henry kind of number from Kyron Williams. And let's think about game state here, right? If the Rams are going to be throwing the ball a fair amount, and it looks like based on the numbers against Washington, that's the right way to do things. You might get Kyron Williams running the ball a fair amount early in the game, and maybe he pops something and you lose that yardage number, right? But if this game really does trend in the direction that we think it might, which is the Rams having a lead at margin, it's not going to be as much Kyron Williams out there. I'm sure Sean McVay is probably going to pull him a bit and pull the reins back and not have to have him out there exposed as much so that's the way that i would be most interested in this let me double check the uh attempts number on do you have the attempts number right in front there it is 20 and a half for kyron williams i actually feel pretty good about under in that spot as well i want to ask you about one other futures market here it's been pretty much understood that CJ Stroud's going to win offensive rookie of the year. I mean, he's at like minus 10,000 at some spots. Our show sponsor bet MGM. He's at minus 3000 now. And there's at least been a little bit of interest in Puka Nakua, 
down to 18 to one at BetMGM. Other spots, you can still get them 30 to one. Is it still 100% going to be CJ Stroud if he misses this game, if he's down weapons, if they go on a losing streak and don't make the playoffs here? And then I concede that it probably requires Puka Nakua breaking the rookie receiving record held by Jamar Chase. But what if those two things happen? Is it still CJ Stroud, Adam? Yes, it's still CJ Stroud. And the most important thing you need to remember is just two simple letters, QB. The quarterback is always going to get an outsized amount of consideration for these awards. And what CJ Stroud has done in becoming, I think, a pretty well consensus top 12 to 13 quarterback in the league this year isn't going to be undone by missing a couple games in concussion protocol. I mean, I think we can probably look at this CJ Stroud situation and say he's going to at least get back on the field at some point this year in large part because the Houston Texans still have a playoff burst to play for. So ultimately, I can't see Puka Nakua going off enough to be able to overtake CJ Stroud. I agree with you. Just wanted to ask the question with Stroud missing this week and me just trying to hold out some vestige of hope after I bet Puka Nakua after week one last year. So after week (laughs) one this year. So what are you going to do? All right. Dallas Cowboys at the Buffalo Bills, the game of the week here. This one has been batting around at mostly meaningless numbers under three. Uh, Buffalo has gotten up to two and a half at one point. Now we're down to two. There's a one and a half on the board. Uh, total here has been around the low 50s in this one, despite the fact that we might have a little bit of rain and wind in the forecast up in Buffalo. Adam, this is a, a kind of a head-scratching line to me, to be honest with you. And I, I admit that we're mostly dealing with meaningless numbers here when we're under the key number of three. I think we both would agree that if either of these teams reach three, it'd be an incorrect line. But this line is still implying that if you take away home field advantage, that the Bills are basically equal with the Dallas Cowboys. And from what both teams have shown us this year, that's kind of crazy to me a, a little bit. So what you have to ask yourself about Dallas has nothing to do with Dak Prescott, has nothing to do with the offense. It has to do with, do you believe that this defense can limit a good offense? Because it wasn't that long ago that we watched Geno Smith slice and dice them on a Thursday night and nearly pull off a victory. And I can't get too far into calling Dallas a great defense with what they did to Philadelphia last week because the Eagles had three fumbles in plus territory leading to what happened with that offense. They should have scored a lot more points than they did. And this is a big ask against the Buffalo offense that seems to have at least found its footing here later in the season. So let's look at the weather forecast, as you mentioned. It's very important for this game. And as Matt has told you, don't bet weather forecasts early in the week. However, in Buffalo, we are seeing... Definite rain and a minimum of 17 miles an hour of sustained winds probably gusting up higher than that. Do both of these quarterbacks have the arm to rip it directly through that wind? Yes, they certainly do. But 50 is a big, big number. And yes, it I, is. Didn't, I didn't love having an under in Philly and Dallas last week. It didn't feel comfortable 
but it got there. That's the way I'd be looking at this game because you talk about, you know, where we are with the power ratings right now with Buffalo and Dallas. And I go back to where did I start this season, right? I started this season where I probably would have had Buffalo as a three point favorite in this game. Um, I don't know that I've properly increased Dallas for who they are in 2023. I'm still scared of that defense. I'm still scared of the amount of points that they can give up at any given time. So that's for me why I think that the only look that I feel completely comfortable with is under based on the fact that it's 50 in 2023 and this is going to be some level of a weather game. I mean, just just watching Buffalo too for the most part this season, especially the the past few weeks, they're not getting chunk plays, right, Adam? Like when they're scoring, that's still long, methodical drives. They're, Josh Allen is being required to be patient. They've struggled to get Stephon Diggs the ball. He has less than fifty yards receiving in three of his past four games. That also would help an under in this game. Even if they are being efficient and moving the ball, if the drives are taking longer and eating up clock, that's another reason why it'd be tough to get to that number in this one on top of the weather concerns. So I, I have not bet it yet, but I am certainly interested in the under in this game if it's going to be there. I'm just I'm just waiting to see if we kind of get to the key-ish number of 51. Um, with the weather, I'm not sure we're going to get it, but don't really lose much waiting to see if we get it. And the other thing I'll just ask you too is, any interest in a Cowboys teaser here in this game? We've seen the number bat around between, you know, one and a half to two and a half. So we could be pretty confident that we're at the number we're supposed to be or pretty close to it. Therefore, the points that we're getting on a teaser should be valuable. Theoretically, this is the worst teaser week of the year. It's not really even all that close. The problem here is you have to believe that you are significantly right about the total handicap to feel more comfortable with the teaser leg because the eight points in a 50 point total, if you believe it's going to play somewhere up that high, they don't mean nearly as much as they would say, if you wanted to go play them in the Pittsburgh game where you're going to go and take the Steelers and get eight points in a 42 point total, it's just not quite the same. I do think of a weak crop of teaser legs in terms of standard Wong teaser legs. It's probably the one I like the best. There is a two and a half on the board uh, in Vegas, and you could find a way to pair that up with, say, a non-Wong teaser of the Rams down to zero. Uh, maybe that's more comfortable for you, but there's just not a lot I love. There, there really isn't. I, 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 there's, there's questions for me about the Kansas City offense there's questions for me about the pittsburgh offense the other natural teaser legs sunday night football the baltimore ravens at the jacksonville jaguars we have injury concerns with trevor lawrence and his high ankle sprain we have the ravens coming off a thrilling overtime win against the los angeles rams uh, this one is ravens minus three total of 42 and a half uh, Trevor Lawrence played last week, Adam, trailed for most of the game, but he played through that, got a full participation in this week. Just based on what we know about high ankle sprains, that doesn't mean he's anywhere near 100% in this week's game. So um, where are you landing on this one? Because I think the Ravens offense was really impressive, their defense less so, and now they have to go on the road and cover more than three. 
Uh, this one is a wind game, and it is the biggest wind game outside of Miami, where we already told you, hey, don't pay as much attention to that in your handicap. But the wind is going to be almost as bad in Jacksonville as it is in Miami. And we've seen this total go up in some places as high as 43. It's a Sunday night game. If you want to look at the way Sunday night games typically get bet, it's going to get bet up unless people look and see the right before Carrie Underwood starts singing, we see rain and wind. They're going to run to the window and bet under in this one. Um, I'll pass overall. If I had a lean, it would be under based on the weather and based on the fact that I am not a believer that the Jacksonville defense is as bad as it has looked. And look, it, it just has looked terrible for a few weeks here. Um, there has to come a point where this bounces back the other way, I believe, with the level of talent that is on this defense. But there's not enough for me here to play anything in this one. I'm going to pass overall, but uh, I'll definitely listen to a case if you want to try to pitch pitch me something. All right, I'm, I'm going to pitch you a case based on weather here, and this is going to require everybody to at least keep an eye on the forecast because for what it's worth, there's a chance, it looks like, as we get closer and closer to kickoff, with this being Sunday night football, that it's going to clear up a little bit. Um, again, it's a forecast. I don't know if this is actually going to happen, but at least as we record Friday afternoon right now, we're getting forecasts that the rain's going to stop completely by kickoff. And the wind is going to go from, you know, 20 to 25 miles per hour now down to like 15 to 20 miles per hour. Now, the, the gusts would still potentially be a concern in the kicking game, et cetera, but that's at least more manageable if it's under 20 miles per hour. So if that is, in fact, the forecast we get, you know, Sunday afternoon comes around, it looks like that's going to be the case. Well, now I am interested in the over in this game, if it's 42 and a half under the keyish number of 43, because the Jaguars defense is giving me major lions defense vibes lately like they have been bad they look more like the defense we all thought they would look like compared to the first half of the season where we couldn't figure out why they were so good considering the talent that they have on the roster defensively since week nine their bye week 27th defensively by epa per play 30th by dropback success rate same time span the baltimore defense has struggled a little bit they're only 20th by those two metrics and I think we both agree, Adam, that we would trust these offenses. And even though Trevor Lawrence had the high ankle sprain, he at least showed some ability to move the football, even though a lot of it was coming from behind against the Browns last week. So um, I like the over here, and I actually like the Ravens to cover three as well if we're going to get a decent weather report here. I, I'm very impressed with what I've seen from this offense. Um I think they can move the ball at will against this Jaguars defense with the concerns I just mentioned. And even though I think the Jags score some points in this game, this is still the Jags offense without Christian Kirk. This is still Trevor Lawrence being immobile, which was a big weapon for them. I'm kind of ready to declare at this point that the Jags are, are a playoff team, but they're not, they're pretenders. They are not Super Bowl contenders. So um, I, that game last week, they scored points, but they were down 10 points for most of the second half. I'm pretty happy if the weather is going to be improved like I hope it is. Pretty happy with both of these bets, honestly. 
Well, the, unfortunately for the Jaguars, uh, they will not have a Chargers team in the playoffs where if they fall down 27, they're live <laughs> to come back. Yeah, that is true. The, the last thing I'll mention here, too, if if we look holistically at these teams and use yards per play for that, the Ravens are number five on the year. The Jags are 29th in net yards per play. They have a negative net yards per play mark on the season. And the Ravens are number three, both in net yards per play overall on the year and over the past three weeks. Jags, again, 27th in net yards per play over the past three weeks. So I think they've been kind of a product of the schedule and not good opponents, Adam, to be honest with you. Look, there are a handful of teams, and I'll run through them real quick for you here. But New Orleans, to some degree, Seattle, Jacksonville. Uh, that's probably the the top of my list for teams that I just don't know what to do with week to week in the NFL. And that makes it really hard for me to get involved with this handicap. Because not only do I not know if I'm going to get the good Jags or the bad Jags, I still have the Trevor Lawrence injury to try to worry about too. Yeah. I, for me at this point, it's, I don't know what to do with them when they're playing teams in their same tier and below when they're going to get, you know, a, be decent favorites i'm i'm totally out on the jags when they're punching above their weight class at this point they got completely demolished by the 49ers a couple of weeks ago um now they're compromised offensively with their number one target out and their quarterback not being able to move around a lot so if if i'm wrong i'll come back on the show next week and tip my hat but i there's a lot wrong here with jacksonville in my opinion yeah, so let's go back and just review here for the sake of finishing up the podcast. I will say there is very yeah. little that I have mentioned in this podcast that I have a play on at this point or that I have high confidence in. The things that I really like are Ezekiel Elliott props in the New England game against Kansas City and Kyler Murray rushing props in the game against San Francisco. And I probably would get, I'll end up giving a very strong look to the Kyron Williams unders in the Rams and Washington game based on how Washington has been playing against the run versus against the pass. And that should tell you that I'm not mentioning a single side or total in terms of like my high confidence plays this week. It's just a, a, for me, a challenging week overall. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, If I did have to choose one or two sides that I felt the best about, it is probably the Chicago bears. If we can get three and a half there against Joe Flacco um other than that it's a tough call it's a tough call i think uh i i have a future on buffalo at a big price to win the afc and i hope they make the playoffs but this is a big prove it week right if they don't do it here it's 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 pretty much over um there a lot would need to go right because they don't have a lot of tiebreakers either most of their losses are in conference which really hurts them if they get into tiebreakers so they got to have this one and if the market is right to be pricing them at their ceiling right now, I'll tip my hat to the market. But this is I, Dallas, Philly, and San Francisco to me are the three best teams in the NFL and should be favored on a neutral field over every AFC team. And that includes the Chiefs right now. If the Chiefs get fixed, we can talk about that. But I have those three teams, maybe Philly a little lower. They still need to prove some stuff. But at least Philly, at least San Francisco and Dallas are really impressive. And I just think people are going narrative street here and saying this is a letdown spot for the Cowboys. Uh, San Francisco, number one for me by a full point and a half. I, 
I might be stubborn here. I still have Philadelphia number two, and I am a believer in this team's ability to be able to play the kind of football they need to play in the playoffs to be competitive. Now, that being said, if they end up in a spot where they would have to go to Dallas and to San Francisco, good luck. Like that, you, You're probably not winning both of those games, and that would make life a lot more difficult. Do you think Jalen Hurts is dead for MVP like a lot of people do? Because I don't think, I don't think so. I don't think he's dead at all because if Philly ends up getting the number one seed in the NFC, then I think he's going to be right back where he's been in the conversation because still leads all quarterbacks in total touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love to be where you are right now and and having a giant DAC ticket in my pocket because it feels better (laughs) than, you know, everything else that's going on. But at the same time, no, I don't think, uh, I don't think Jalen hurts is dead. And when it comes to three, to me, there is a tier for San Francisco there is a tier for Philadelphia, and then my next tier is probably something that goes like Dallas and Baltimore and Kansas City, and then I'll start to look at anybody else that comes after that. I have a slightly different order than you, but I'll at least say that I'm not completely selling the Eagles because this has been one of the most grueling stretches of schedule I've seen covering the NFL. So They I'm, get two I'm servings totally of cutlets ready. in the last three weeks. Two servings of cutlets <laughs> yeah. in the last three weeks. They're going to look way better. And we all know, Adam, cut, cutlets for dinner help recharge the batteries. That's solid. Sure. Solid. Protein, baby. Got to love the, the Staten Island cutlets protein to get ready for the following day and go out in the yard and scrape your knees and come back inside, watch Power Rangers. But that was just my childhood. We, uh, we move on here. It's time to wrap things up here on the Megapod. Next week, we'll get Adam's stories of cutlets and schoolyard pickleball in New York. But thank you so much for watching, everybody. Everything we do here is completely free at thelines.com. We're trying to make a big push here towards 50,000 subscribers before the Super Bowl. If we do, we will have a massive giveaway for you. So go ahead, hit that subscribe button, hit the like button. Let us know in the comments what you are betting on in NFL Week 15. For Adam Candy. I'm Steven Andrus. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Best of luck with all your bets in week 15.